Hi there, and welcome to episode five of the Language Hacking Podcast, hosted by Benny Lewis together with me, Shannon Kennedy. In this episode, Benny and I will be interviewing Ollie Richards, who is a language educator and author of many books and courses. If you've ever wondered, how can I watch TV shows or YouTube videos or listen to podcasts in my new language? Or if you're a complete beginner to language learning, then this is going to be an episode that you'll get a lot out of. Ollie gives in-depth advice on using comprehensible input to learn a language, which is all about using resources in your target language that are a bit above your current level. As always, all the links can be found in the show notes at languagehacking.com. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ollie Richards. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Ollie, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us how you got started in languages? Yeah, well, thank you very much. The reality, I can assure everybody, is, is far less impressive than what you've just um, <clears throat> shown me as, but thank you anyway. Um, uh, my name is Ollie. I'm from the UK, and uh, much like Benny, I kind of got into language learning late in life. I was, I think I was 19 when I learned my first language which was French and um, I so I succeeded in French for a variety of crazy reasons and then from there kind of got the confidence that um, it was actually possible to learn another language and then from there went through a whole series of projects um, learning languages from home in London and then also traveling and spending years living around the world um, and then um, learning the languages of those places as I went and then since then I've gone on to create a website, I Will Teach You a Language. I've written um, over 20 books now of, of short stories and um, a number of other crazy projects. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the languages that you've learned and some of the places that you've been? Yeah, so the languages that I've learned, I mean, you know, it's always, it's always difficult talking about the languages you know because they're all on, on, on different levels, but I've learned to different degrees um, and in chronological order, uh, French, um, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Japanese, Cantonese, um, Arabic, uh, Thai, and um, German. Uh, a number of those I don't really speak much of anymore at all. Um, a few more I've kind of, they're sort of, sort of furloughed, if you like, and then a few more I speak pretty well. And that's all always changing. Uh, I've lived in places like um, Argentina and Paris. I lived in Japan for three and a half years, which I absolutely love. I lived in the Middle East, in Qatar, and then um, most recently in Egypt. And then I've been back home here in the UK now for, wow, about five years. So I'm, I'm curious, um, Ali, the, the start of your story when you first got into French, since, like you said, you did it um, like, uh, at the tail end of your teenage years. Uh, what do you think would have been the difference between how you would have learned it then versus how would it, you would have learned it, say, for your A-levels that would have really uh, kicked things off truly for you as a, as a language learner? Well, I think the big picture thing is just motivation. And it, obviously, that's not very it's not a practical tip motivation, but I really think that it, it, you know, if you kind of strip away everything, it comes down to that because if you're motivated to learn, then you'll, you'll figure out all of the, the minor problems um, on, on the road to actually learning a language. I like at that time it was, I mean, I was 19 years old. My girlfriend of two years had just broken up with me. I was in a bit of a, in, in, a was in a bit of emotional turmoil and I actually took a year out of uni and decided to move to Paris for six months. 
And, you know, it's the kind of thing that you could, you, you only be crazy enough to do when you're 19. Um, but I did do it. And I was kind of, um, you know, stubborn enough when I got there to actually say, right, I'm really going to learn this language because I'm not going to be in, in France and then not learn the language. So that kind of stubbornness and motivation and emotional investment in what I was doing was the real driver. And then that kind of pushed me to, to do the more mechanical things of actually studying every day, speaking with people a lot because I was there and then gradually making friends and then using French on a daily basis. So that was, that was kind of the process. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, because we have this in common, is that you studied music. And so I'm curious to know, like, especially at this time when you were still really into your music studies, like how some of what you've learned as a musician have kind of transitioned over to what you're doing now in language. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And, and one of the, something that comes up a lot, actually, you know, I, I, I think it's really difficult to say there are, um, there are all kinds of studies that have been done on this. All I really have to go on is, is, this, is the anecdotal side of it from my own experience and other musicians that I've spoken to. And I think there's a few key things that you get from the experience of like learning to be a musician. The first is that your, you, your ear is very highly attuned to sound. So you spend a lot of time very closely listening to sound, everything from you know pitch, tone, intonation, these things. So I've always found that I can pick up accents fairly well. And I think that's I'm sure that that's in no small part thanks to my you know musical training. I started learning music when I was six, so I you know I've I've had a, most of my life has spent been spent with sounds of different kinds. So I think that gives you a a a, a kind of advantage in perceiving sounds. I don't think that necessarily means that you're good at um, producing sounds, accent in language, not necessarily, but it's not going to hurt. So I think that's an advantage. But one of the more interesting benefits of, of music is that when you are as a musician when you're learning pieces of music you need to you need to get used to this process of start starting to play a new piece of music being really bad at it and then gradually working at it until you're really good at it and that's a process that requires a lot of discipline and uh, and kind of long-term thought and planning and you know being comfortable with mistakes and then knowing what to do with mistakes in order to, to learn it. You know, a piece of classical music, for example, which is how I, I, I started music. I, I went on to do jazz at, at uni uh, and I was a jazz musician for, for years after that. But, you know, the thing about classical music is that there's no gray areas there. You've got to, you either know the notes or you don't. And so to be able to learn all the notes on, the, on a piano uh, using, you know, up to 10 fingers at a time, for a you know 10 15 20 minute piece that's a huge amount of work and so you're going to get used to going through that process of being rubbish and then being good and all the practice and dedication that comes with that and so when you when you set about learning a new language i think that gave me an advantage because i wasn't phased by the difficulty of it or the size of the project i kind of knew that there's a process to follow and that being bad is just Part, part of the early stages and that you need lots of deliberate practice in order to get good so I, I think that that training is really really important and you know when you hear often from people who are new to language learning they say oh, I'm making mistakes and it makes me feel uncomfortable and stuff uh, which is a very natural emotion but it also doesn't it, it also misses I think the point that that mistakes are such an integral part to any 
thing that's difficult and learning to be good at it. So I think there are a kind of myriad of other benefits that come from music, but those are the two that I, I, that I tend to think of as being most impactful. And uh, what do you tend to tell people as they're getting started in learning languages and maybe they, they don't have this uh, background of having uh, learned the hard way through bigger projects that you have to go through this beginner stage? Or like what have you found has, uh, has helped people um, who are really kicking things off now in terms of these uh, bigger life projects? Yeah, I, I tend to focus on trusting in the process, you know. There's a saying I heard recently, I can't remember who it's by, that nothing is ever as bad as it seems or as good as it seems. You know, so um, it, whatever kind of mistakes you're making, it doesn't matter that much. And like equally, however well you think you're speaking, actually, you're probably not, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but it's just like that. You just got to have a process and stick to it and just trust that time will do the work. And I think that the, really often people, they, the, the worst thing that they can do is just start to doubt the process because then you, you stop studying, you take breaks, you fall off the horse. And, and before you know it, you've out of 365 days in a year, you've only studied for like a hundred of them or 50 of them or something. And you just miss the really big opportunity of just studying every day, you know? So I, 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 I just tend to say, trust in the process. Don't worry about mistakes. Keep learning because learning never tracks closely onto the amount of time you spend, you know? So it's not the case that you spend an hour a day studying and then with every day that goes past, you get proportionally better. You know, progress happens in all kinds of unpredictable, crazy ways, which makes it all the more important just to trust in the process and kind of just get into that nice, beautiful rhythm of, um, of spending time with the language every day. I know that one of the ways that you like to spend time with the language every day is comprehensible input. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so comprehensible input is the way that I have learned languages, the, the, the idea that's been most helpful. It's also the kind of foundation of the, of, um, of the way that I teach, which is through, through stories. And comprehensible input is the idea that you learn languages best when you are listening and reading to material in the language that's slightly above your current level. This is, this is also known as I plus one. And the idea that <clears throat> I is your current level and then plus one is that just a little bit hard, a little bit higher than where you currently are. So in that experience, you will understand quite a lot of what, of what you're reading or what you're listening to, but there'll be a tiny amount, a small amount that you don't understand yet. But the fact that you already know so much means that you can kind of take guesses at the stuff that you don't know. And so practically, as a language learning strategy, what this means is you will spend most of your time with input, most of your time uh, reading in the target language and listening in the target language to material that is just slightly above your current level. And you can do this as a beginner as well. You just need the right kind of material. So you just need to, um, to have... Uh, stories or whatever it else, whatever else you'd like to to learn from, that are created for beginners, so that you can start to start to you know just spend time with the language and get a sense for what the language really is. You know, not some, uh, you know, not like a, a textbook which is kind of um, aims to. It, it kind of creates this abstract of what the language should be in order in order to teach it, but it's not the real thing. You know, so. 
yeah, that, that's the basis of comprehensible input. It's the idea that you're learning, you're learning through spending time with language that's just a little bit um, above your current level. And you said that um, part of this process is using just the right, right kind of materials. And I think with that in mind, um, it's great that this is so central to your learning philosophy because based on that, you created the short stories uh, series that uh, have been doing very well. And as I told you here in the States, I see them in every Barnes and Noble all around the country, no matter which state it happens to be in. So congratulations on the success with that. Thank you. But I'm very curious, how did, uh, what was your thinking process in terms of uh, creating these courses for other people? Uh, you mean the books in particular? The books in particular, yeah. Yeah. There were a number of different things. I mean, I, what I found was, I think it started from my podcast, actually, the I Will Teach Your Language podcast. And I, because I, what I do on that show is I take questions from people about languages. And so I got to hear, I started to hear from people around the world and the actual struggles that they were having uh, with their languages. And I, what I found was, so I'd, I'd take these questions, I'd, I'd suggest things to do, and, and the questions would often be, you know, like, um, I, I'm stuck at intermediate level and I can't get any further, what do I do? And so I would say things like, well, comprehensible input, you know, go and read and listen, um, but make sure you find material which is just a little bit... Um, you know, more advanced than your current level. And of course, the obvious, the question that came back was, oh, brilliant. Now, where do I find that material? And I was like, uh, well, actually, I don't know. Because it's kind of hard, right? We, we've all seen graded readers before, but there's something about the graded readers out there in the world, which they're just uncommonly boring. You know, they take very old stories, presumably because they've come out of copyright, so they're able to use them again. And they just kind of you put them in the target language and say, right now, go, go read it. But you've got to be motivated and interested in the material that you're reading. You know, if, if, there's no point trying to read Charles Dickens in Spanish if you can't stand Charles Dickens. Um, and so what I wanted to, so the basic reason I started creating these stories was to just actually create material so that people could actually study in this way. And, um, and then as I started thinking more and more about that, I kind of came up with this wish list of, of for these books. So, what would the ideal language learning resource be? So, I know I know that I want people to to, to listen and read. What does everybody like? Well, everybody likes stories, right? Uh, yeah, okay. So, but 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 not all stories. People want to be interested in these stories. So, how about we write stories which are a little bit edgy or a little bit uncommon or you know slightly more slightly more interesting, and then we don't want chapters to be too long because then it, you know, you spend too long plowing through one chapter. So we want short chapters. And then we also want quick reference word lists at the end of each chapter. So I kind of just came up with this wish list of thinking, this is what the perfect material would be for me and what I would like to recommend to people. So how about I go and make the stuff? And so I did. So I'm curious when you were working on these books and coming up with the stories, like what sorts of, you were saying that, some of the other kind of graded readers tend to be a little bit more boring and like classical things that people wouldn't be interested in. So how did you make sure to kind of include content that would be relevant to a wide range of mm. learners? Yeah, great question. I actually did something very specific. So I went out onto my website and I asked all of my readers a, a question. I asked them, when you read stories in your own language or in other languages, I think I actually asked them in your own language, when you read stories in your own language, what genres of stories do you like to read? 
and they would tell me, some people said, oh, I like romance. Some people said, like, history and then sci-fi and crime. And I took, created this huge, great list of the, of the genres that people like to read in. And then I kind of rank ordered them to see which were the most popular. And then I used those, I used the most popular genres of stories to create the stories that, um, that I was writing. And so there was some, and that, that was really useful because there were some big surprises in there. Turns out that lots of people like sci-fi and history stories, which, I mean, may sound unsurprising to people who are history and sci-fi fans, but actually to me, it was, that was totally unexpected. And so, um, you know, I think we have two sci-fi, we have a number of books like beginner level, intermediate level. We have a, a few sci-fi stories in, in these books, uh, which is not something that I would have ever have kind of chosen to, to write if I was just writing for myself, you know. Um, but I did, and history stories as well. So we kind of ended up with this, I really followed what people told me they liked, which I, I guess is... Well, I, I, I would hope that that's one of the reasons the books have been fairly successful because everybody who gets these books finds at least one or two stories in there that they, they really like, even if they don't like all of them necessarily. There's lots of variety in there. But I was very deliberate about how I went and, um, and, and created those. And when learning with a resource like this, what would your kind of recommendation if you were walking someone through using comprehensible input and how to use a resource like that to really study effectively? What would you say that is? Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, one of the, so in the, in the, in, in the introduction to the books, um, which are called short stories um, in Spanish for beginners, short stories in French for beginners and so on and so forth. I actually have a chapter at the beginning of the book that I wrote specifically about that, like how to use these stories effectively. And um, it, what really surprised me was lots of people when they reached out on social media and stuff uh, about these these books is they, they, they would say to me, you know what, that, that chapter at the beginning was actually the most useful part of all. Uh, and that kind of said to me that people, that it's not, you know, it, it's not obvious how to, yeah, for anybody, it's not obvious how to learn languages. You know, people need um, suggestions and, and guidance. And so the, I, I have a, a, a five step reading process, which I go into detail in, in the books, but essentially it, it's like this. First of all, you, We'll start reading the first chapter of the first story or, what, or whichever story you want. And your first mission is to read from the beginning to the end of the chapter without stopping. So you're not stopping to look up words. You're not stopping to study nothing. You only have one goal and that's to get to the end of the chapter. And the reason for that is because we, I want to encourage you to read more extensively. So not to get, get out of this mindset of, of very kind of a detailed study from your textbook. I want you to, consume lots and lots of, uh, of content in the language. I read to the end of the chapter. And then what I suggest is that you go back and read it again, maybe two or three times. Because every time you go back, what you'll find is you notice new things. And when you notice new things, they tend to sink in better. If, you know, if, I, if, I, if I tell you a word and give you a definition, you'll probably forget it five minutes later. But if you notice it for yourself it's much more likely you're going to remember it so you go back and you read the chapter a couple of times or two or three times and this is fairly doable because they're short chapters right and then after a few times through the chapter then i'll say right if you want to check some of the vocabulary words that you didn't get go ahead and do that and we've got word lists so then you would just check some some of the words which will which will help you understand um, some some of the vocabulary that you didn't 
um, necessarily get the first time. And then we have comprehension questions at the end to check if you've understood everything from the chapter. And then you move on and you don't spend too long going back over the first chapter. You don't do an in-depth grammar study or anything like that. You move on and you just read to the end of the second chapter and the third chapter like that. So the bird's eye view of what we're trying to do here is to kind of move through the content. So you're enjoying the stories for what they are, just like you would read in your native language, but also taking a little bit of extra time to go back and review uh, because that's where the opportunities for learning really, really lie. So you're moving through the stories with good kind of forward motion with a little bit of review incorporated to help your brain learn naturally. And um, one thing I've uh, noticed that after your first uh, series came out, that you followed it up uh, for several of the languages with an intermediate level. So how did you uh, approach the intermediate um, short story and learning philosophy different to your beginning series? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So essentially it's the same because you... The level changes, obviously. So the text, the, the texts are slightly more difficult at intermediate level. The way it breaks down is that for for the beginner series, we aim from A two to B one, which is basically a kind of lower intermediate level, um, and then for the for the uh, intermediate books, that's B one to B two. So that's kind of from intermediate to upper intermediate, and um, so we had a very rigorous process of grading the language meaning that we had um, experienced development editors for each of the language who were able to really adjust every, really every word and, and phrase in the entire book to be suitable for that level. So, um, you know, you would have slightly longer sentences, for example, in the intermediate version, you start to have more relative clauses, which make the sentence a bit, the sentences a bit more complicated, uh, which, so you have to concentrate and hold more information in your head in order to understand. Um, we would use vocabulary, there was a little bit, it was even more natural and, and native-like, but would be too difficult for the beginner level. So we're just kind of pushing the boundaries up, but the actual, the actual approach of learning is the same because if you think about it if the level gets a bit harder you don't also then want massively long chapters because it's going to be that's a step too far so you've still got fairly short ch chapters for these stories it's just that the the language level within that is a step uh, is a step higher but you know the the um, obviously i don't speak all we've got i think over 20 books out now Re most recently we published arabic and, and korean is about to come out i don't speak all of these languages that we've um, that we that we published in so i i was uh, very um, grateful to teach yourself for all the the fantastic and uh, professional editors that they have i mean the arabic version for example um, the development editor for that was uh, amira who is a professor of arabic at, at king's college in london and we have extremely um, extremely good linguists working on on these books um precisely because we they have they have to be good they have to be at the right level you know so we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't uh, spare any expense in, in 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 making sure those kind of hit the right levels 
So you've talked quite a bit about your approach as a language educator, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about your own personal language learning strategies. I know you've shared several of your language missions on your website, including your a couple of recent ones for Thai and for Italian. So of course, we'll include the links to those in the show notes. But I'm curious to know, you know, especially as you've lived in a lot of these places where the language is spoken, what your approach is for kind of quickly learning a language and focusing more on the speaking and some of the things that you'll have to do and in interactions when you're there so so in, specifically for the for when i've lived in the places and learning the language of the place that i've lived is that right yes yeah yeah so it is very different learning a language when you're living in a place because you've got the language all around you every day it in some way counterintuitively it's not always um that much easier and a lot of people who have lived abroad will will know the experience of moving to a country thinking to themselves oh, i'll just become fluent overnight when i move there and then realizing once they've been there for a few months hey all, all my friends speak english to me and i actually don't speak much of the language at all so you i actually find it a little bit more mentally challenging to learn a language when i'm when i'm living in the country because you've really got to work hard just as you as much as as if you were at home. I mean, for me, every, every experience has been a bit different. So I learned French in France. Um, I learned um, Arabic in Egypt. I learned Japanese in Japan. And I think, I guess my main, the main thing that I do differently when I'm there is I always very quickly find language partners because I want to start to do the thing that I want to be able to do in my life there. And I, Scott Young calls this, um, who I know Benny's a friend of yours as well. He calls this the, the, the principle of directness or the directness principle. And it's the idea that you want to right from the beginning, you want to study in such a way that you're doing the activity that you want to eventually be able to do. So if I'm in Japan, then the thing that I want to be able to do is speak Japanese. And specifically, I want to be able to speak Japanese to buy a train ticket or order in a restaurant or, or talk to someone in a bar or something like that. So I'll find language partners or teachers, people that I can meet regularly, um, you know, a few times a week. And I'll work with them very specifically asking, hey, what should I say in this situation? You know, when I'm walking to a bar and I want to order a drink, what, what exactly should I say? And I get them to tell me and write it down. And then by learning that language, those words and phrases and those interactions, that, I get, that gives me a lot of confidence to go back to those places and then use the stuff that I've learned. And so that approach I found helps me really gain a lot of confidence in my day-to-day -day life in the country because when you get more confidence then you interact more with people which means it's a lot easier to make friends and it's like a, this kind of snowball effect of just spending more and more time in the language and then eventually you know before you know it you've got friends who don't speak English and only speak to you in the language and then that's where you can get very good very quickly um, so that's the main thing that I would do differently actually living in the country but I think it is important to say that even if you're doing those things, you've still got to put in the work of actually studying at home. And probably that means doing also a lot of reading and listening uh, in a more kind of controlled way. Because if you, if you don't, it's very difficult just to kind of pick up a language from the street with people talking all kinds of crazy stuff around you. And uh, out of the languages you've learned, the ones that you would have got to the highest level, has your approach changed in those more advanced stages? I think what changes in the, uh, the higher levels is that you're just using it with friends as part of your life. 
And I think I've always found that when I'm doing that, I don't really have a, a need to study anymore. So a lot of my best friends are, are um, Spanish and Portuguese um, speakers, for example. And, you know, I, my experience with those languages now as part of my life is just, I'll, I'll go and stay with my friends for, for a couple of weeks or, you know, just chat on the phone or, or go on holiday with them or something. And then I'm just using the language with them just like, just like I would English here in London. So I think when, when I, when I get to that point or close to that point, I, I kind of stop caring about studying really, because the only thing I really want to be able to do with those languages is interact with people on a, on a, on a human level. So I, I, I've always found there is like, a, there is kind of a tipping point where you're learning a new language and you're studying and you're studying and you're, and you're studying. And then one day you're not because you, it, you're good enough for what you want to be able to do. Now I will say that I, I, I've never got to an extremely high level in a language, like you know, kind of high levels of, of C2 where, I mean, I'm, I'm not very good at writing in my languages, for example, I couldn't write an academic essay I probably couldn't write particularly well in any of in any of my languages. I, I'm not sure that I could, um, you know, I might struggle with university lectures on a difficult topic or something. So I'm, I, I think if you want to get to the very highest levels in a language, where you can, you can perform in in any given situation, then you've you've got to keep studying. I think, but I I wouldn't be the expert on that. I, I think that you know f- for me, getting to a a point where I can live my life freely in that language and, and interact with friends in the language. Like that's kind of where I stop. I want to go back to something that you had mentioned kind of at the beginning of our chat. And that was how everything kind of trickles down to motivation in learning a language. So I'm curious if uh, you could share some of your personal methods or tactics for staying motivated to learn the languages that you're studying. This is a really tricky one because I, I, I'm not particularly good at manufacturing motivation, really. I tend to kind of put myself in situations where I have no choice but to be motivated. So um, things were a lot, a lot different when I was younger, actually. You know, when I think back to when I was in my kind of early 20s and I was at, at uni in, in London and I had friends who were from Spain and Brazil and, and um, France and stuff, there, like, my main motivation was that I really enjoyed being in this international environment and I was just discovering the world basically. So I really wanted to be able to speak to these people and interact with them. And so, you know, you couldn't keep me away from a textbook during those times. That's changed a lot as I've got older. And, um, I mean, now, for example, I actually really struggle with motivation because I've kind of, I've spent best part of 20 years learning languages and it's not a novelty, novelty for me anymore. And, being here in London, you know, with, with just having regular, regular life, I, I don't need new languages. I'm not in an environment where, you know, I could spend the next 10 years improving my Arabic, but f- for what? Like, it's not part of my life. So I actually do really struggle with, with motivation um, sometimes. But for the other languages I've learned, I've actually been in the country, which makes it very easy to be motivated because you you kind of need it every day. And then other than that, I've had to create like little very specific missions for myself. So I I went, I learned Thai a few years ago with my friend, Yan. We went to Bangkok and we learned Thai for two weeks, very intensively and I documented all of it and put it on, on, on YouTube. And, um, 
that was a kind of very intense two week structure. And obviously I didn't get very far in two weeks, but I, I did get to have a, a full half an hour conversation by the end, which I, again, I filmed. Um, but for example, when I got back to the UK afterwards, I tried to keep it up and it was just very difficult because there's no why there, you know? And then likewise, a couple of years back, I, 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 I learned Italian. I spent three months doing it. And the way that I kept myself motivated was to actually basically say on my website, Hey, I'm learning Italian. There's going to be a video every week. So I had to do it. I was kind of committed to it. These days I really just, I have to scrape the bottom of the barrel sometimes um, to, to find that motivation. And I tend to, I tend to do two things. I think for, for the languages I know well, and I have friends in those languages, I just use the language. You know, so I'll see Japanese friends and we'll just speak in Japanese and that's fine. For other languages, I, I you know, I go through phases. Sometimes I, I want to work on a language a bit and I'll just try to set myself a simple daily quota. So I'll say about one hour of reading a day. And sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky. I think you've got to have that why. If you don't have that why, then you're fighting a bit of an uphill battle, I think. And uh, just as a follow-up to that, uh, when you are, when you were in a stage of high motivation for a project and you um, you had a good reason to learn the language to, to keep you going each day, I'm curious to hear what, uh, like one or two examples of one of the greatest challenges that's, that really sets you back other than motivation and how you dealt with that or uh, overcame it. Yeah, so every language is different and presents different different challenges. I mean, I think um, there are some some projects which are you know over a decade ago, so it's kind of difficult to to remember. But I mean, you know, take Cantonese for example. Cantonese is a language which is it's a spoken language. So when you're learning to speak, then um, it's it, that's a fairly straightforward task. But the but the trouble is that uh, Cantonese is not generally written down and uh, even when it is it's all with uh, traditional Chinese characters which are incredibly hard so with Cantonese I found that I wasn't because I I never never took the time to learn to read properly I kind of felt like I was hitting a ceiling with um, with reading or with the language learning in general because I just couldn't uh, I couldn't access texts the way that I would in say um, French where you could just kind of sit down and read and, and you can at least read the the spelling of the words and have an idea about how it might be pronounced. So that was a challenge, which I mean, I, I've never overcome that, to be honest, I, I still can't read in Chinese. Um, but, but what I did do is just kind of double down on my strengths. So I said, okay, well, how do I best learn in this situation? Um, I, I know there's, even if I, you know, set out to learn to read in Chinese, it's going to be a two or three year project minimum anyway. So what am I going to do in the meantime? And I just doubled down on the stuff that I knew worked. So I spent lots and lots of time listening. I'd watch entire TV series. I'd have the radio going on all the time. And I would just up the speaking. So I would speak as much as I could. And um, that kind of helped give me a sense, of, um, a sense of progress and forward momentum with that. Uh, with, I had a similar, a similar experience with Thai, where I learned Thai by actually just speaking and then I wanted to start reading and then I realized oh, man, I didn't learn the alphabet. You know, I should have learned the alphabet. And the Thai alphabet is much easier than Chinese. It has, uh, I think, 70 or 80 characters. It's not that much, but it's also a little bit tricky. Um, so what I did was actually block off time, a set period of time, and I just sat down and learned it. 
um, you know, just one by one by one by one, and um, and and tackled it as a as its own discrete project. Um, other examples might be with Italian. I had an interesting one with Italian, where I found that I was dropping loads of Spanish words in there um, without sometimes without realizing it, and uh the i did a couple of things with that the first thing i did is actually not worry about it too much because i kind of understood that it's something that will come out in the wash eventually anyway it's happening because the way that i know to express this concept is in spanish that's why it's coming through but the more i study with italian the more it's time i spend with italian the more that will shift uh that will shift away and i'll start to use the italian alternative um, to the point where actually now sometimes I speak Spanish and Italian words come out, which is it's huge amounts of fun. Um, but what I also did was I, I asked, I started asking my tutor just to kind of point out whenever I used a, a Spanish ism. So we would, we would be having conversations and we had daily conversations during that project. And she would do this thing where she would just raise a finger in a very kind of uh, teacher like Italian way. So I'd be talking and she'd kind of raise a finger and, I, and I'd say, okay, I know what that means. That means I've said, um, I've said uh, some Spanish word instead of uh, uh, an Italian word. So that, that was just a little indication for me to stop and think. And then I would realize what it was. I would switch to the Italian word and then carry on, which was quite nice because it wasn't this kind of big lecture. It was just raising my awareness of what was going on. And then over the course of a, of a, of a, of a month or so, I just managed to start to reduce the, the Spanish that was in, that was in, in my Italian. So every language is, presents a slightly different problem. Have you found the same thing, Benny? Absolutely. And especially when it comes to mixing languages up, uh, that one is going to creep into the other one. And uh, for me, it's also an issue with the culture, because sometimes some cultures are just not um, going to correct you very much. And they're okay with you making mistakes, which is great for your ego but it means that those mistakes are going to stick around for a much, much longer time. So uh, definitely each, uh, each language presents not only its own uh, content challenges, but its own situational challenges. So I'd agree with that, absolutely. So given that this is the Language Hacking Podcast, we like to try and ask everyone on the show what language hacking is for them. So Ollie, could you answer that question? What is language hacking for me? Uh, I think language hacking for me, what, what it's become, I think, is uh, is having confidence in in the process and trusting in the process and having this bird's eye view of what language learning looks like. There's no shortcuts to language learning whatsoever, but there are things that you can do more efficiently when you understand how you learn best. And um, yeah, but Benny and I were talking about this earlier, actually, the fact that when, when you've learned a number of languages, it gives you a kind of confidence because you understand how the process works. You understand that, um, that, that whatever short-term problems and difficulties you might have, like learning to, to read and write or, or problems conjugating your verbs in Spanish or learning the gender of nouns in French, you kind of understand that as long as I keep going, and I keep doing the right things. These will work themselves out. These problems will work themselves out. I, I've yet to find in the languages I've learned any problem that I haven't managed to overcome. You know, all language problems have a, have a solution. And so the, for me, like if I were to start a new language today, and I actually, you know, I'm, I'm actually weighing up at the moment Russian and Swedish. 
And I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger, but I'm kind of, I'm quite tempted. The, the main thing that I would do, the main hacking that I would do is to say to myself, I trust in the process. So I'm going to decide on a specific amount of time that I'm going to spend every day on the language and I'm going to stick to it. And my number one objective is going to be to make sure I spend that time every day and that nothing derails me. Cause I know if I just do that, then everything else will take care of itself over time. So I think that that's the thing that would, that's my, that's, that's Ollie's language hacking. And uh, we've talked a lot about um, your previous projects and of course the books, but um, I'd like you to share what have you been working on in terms of uh, your, your business and uh, courses that you've been creating? What have you been working on lately uh, online for us? Yeah. So after the, after I wrote the short story books, then the, the, the next question I tackled was, okay, well, these short story books, as great as they are, um, if you're just starting out in a language and you're, you're going to be on day one, you're not going to be able to read these things yet. So actually, what would be a way to take this approach of learning through story and actually apply it to the, to the beginner level? So basically, how do, we, how do you learn a language from the beginning through story? And so I kind of set out, starting a few years back now, I set out to create um, courses uh, to teach languages through story. And I have a method I call, that I call story learning. And it works in exactly the same way. There are kind of stories that are based, that are written specifically for beginners. And it's a combination of things. So you will, right at the beginning, from day one, I, I try not to kind of sugarcoat anything or break it down into different nuggets of language i say to you from the beginning right i'm going to have you listening and reading to spanish japanese french from the beginning so you start to get a sense of what what the language really is and so you'll be you'll be spending time with story and then there are lessons where i come in and actually teach you stuff that you've read in the story and so it's this kind of big uh, big uh, sort of cycle if you like of, of reading and listening and learning and then taking lessons where you uncover the language from the stories and this is kind of i guess my answer to a a another kind of beginner course like a, like a michelle thomas or a or um you know uh, whatever whatever other beginner language courses there are out there so i i yeah i first made that course in in spanish and we've since developed it out into lots of different languages and i've been working on using taking this approach of story learning and applying it to other other aspects of language learning as well. So um, I have a course called Grammar Hero, which basically says, right, you want to, gr grammar is difficult, at, especially at intermediate level, right? You've got, um, you know, you want to learn different past tenses and your mo verbs of motion and, and, and things like that. How can we actually do that through story? And uh, so I've been sort of developing out ways of applying that to, to things like grammar, to listening skills. And, um, and just yeah, just working on on ways to for people who like the idea of learning through story because it's not for everybody. You know, if you can't stand reading or you hate stories, <laughs> this is not going to be for you. But for the people that do like the idea of learning through story, and um, you know, like like nothing better than actually you know sitting down with a with with a, with a book and listening and reading. I've been working on different ways to learn languages through that through that angle, so that people can go very deep. Um, and, and learn the language at different, through different stages and different levels. And if someone wanted to find more about you and about these projects that you're working on, where would they go? 
Best place to go is to IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com. And um, there you can follow the various links on the website to find um, lots of articles that I publish and courses and, and things like that. My, there's also my podcast. I guess anyone listening to this uh, likes podcasts, so you can check out the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. And if you're in your local bookstore, hopefully by the time people listen to this, bookstores will be open again and you can start, uh, you know, collecting language books like we all love to do. Uh, so have a look out for, for my books there. They'll probably be next to Benny's. So mm -hmm. that would be the easiest way to find them. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Ali, for uh, for coming on the show today and uh, for uh, sharing your story with us. And um, I highly recommend people check out uh, Ali's stuff. It's uh, it's very helpful, and he uh, has definitely um, centered in on the comprehensible input through his story learning and through the uncovered courses as well that he's got on uh, via his blog. So absolutely check him out and check out his podcast. And uh, any closing words for us, Ali? Any closing words? Make, do what makes you happy. I guess I'm saying that because we're recording this in the middle of the coronavirus crisis and everybody's kind of, you know, worrying, wondering where the world's headed. Do what makes you happy. This goes for language learning. I mean, especially like don't spend time doing something you don't like. Find what you like with languages find out what you enjoy and spend your time doing that. Life's too short to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Very well said. <laughs> and of course, all of the links and resources that we mentioned during this episode will be in the show notes. So you can find them there. Thank you so much, Ollie, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me and uh, good luck with the podcast. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening in everybody. And we'll see you next time. And until then, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you find this episode valuable, please leave us a review so we can continue to grow and spread the word about language hacking. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.